All right, the hockey season is now a week underway, uh, and things are looking rocky for the Rangers so far. One win in their first four games, three straight losses after an impressive, uh, sort of uh, exciting opening night win in St. Louis. Uh, third period, 3-2 to two win, thanks to two goals from Rick Nash, who's tearing it up. But things haven't looked good for the Rangers uh, since that opening night win, and uh, things haven't also looked good up in Boston, where the Bruins, who are... Uh, you know, pretty much picked by everyone to represent the Eastern Conference in the Stanley Cup Final. Picked by a lot of people to win the Stanley Cup uh, once again this year. Uh, things aren't going so good for the Rangers. Things aren't going so good for the Bruins. Um, and certainly, we're only four games into the season, a weekend. But I figured I'd check in uh, on what's going up in Boston and sort of around the NHL uh, with a good friend Mike Cole from Nesson.com. Mike, how's it going today? It's going well, Neil. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And, uh, you know, you look around the league right now and – and certainly it's early, and, and things can change, and things can change in the span of a weekend uh, when you're this early into the season. But, um, you know, you've got these ups, you know, these teams that are sort of on the rise, like the Islanders, um, who are sort of impressing everyone, three straight wins. And they've got a, you know, a guy in Johnny Boychuk who you've covered for several years up in Boston, a key member of that Stanley Cup team up in Boston. Um, and, they, you know, they picked apart the Rangers in the third period on Tuesday night for a 6-3 win. Um, and the Rangers have gotten off to a slow start. They've had, uh, you know, some, or not some defensive lapses, but a lot at this point. Um, a key injury to Dan Boyle has sort of uh, put them behind the eight ball to start. They've had, you know, Matthew Hunwick in and out of the lineup, who was uh, a former Bruin. And things just aren't going well, but they're not going well for the Bruins either. And, uh, you know, you look back to right before the season started, and they had to, to make a deal uh, to get under a salary cap, and they do trade Johnny Boychuk. And it seemed like, you know, I, I don't want to jump the gun here, but he's a key part of that defense and key part of that team. And, and maybe he wasn't exactly the best piece to move, even though he is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I don't have any inside information about this at all or whatever, but I think if this season somehow turns into a trade pack, which I still think it's way too early to say that. If it does, I think we might start to hear some whispers about uh, how upset they were, uh, you know, at losing Boychuk. I think you kind of look at, you know, what guys said after that trade, and, and the, the timing of the trade doesn't help either. You know, you're getting ready for the season. Uh, it was, I think it was literally the night before they went up to Vermont for team building. Uh, it's kind of some ironic timing there. And it's just, it's a guy who's a top-four defenseman. It, you know, if you look at what the Bruins needed to do last year at the trade deadline, they tried like hell to acquire a top four defenseman, and now they go out and deal one of them away. It's just, it, it didn't make much sense. And I think for me, and I think for a lot of people, the timing of it was peculiar. I, I understand that you try to get the best deal for your team, you try to make your team, you know, as good as possible now and for the long run. But, uh, you know, for me, I at least look at, you know, keeping Boychek in the fold until the trade deadline. And then, make, I mean, this, this, the salary cap is so complicated and different, you know, there's different minutiae and things like that when it comes to where you need to be on opening night and maybe that played a role too. But if there was a way to keep him through the first few months of the season, I would have looked into doing that too because I think he's that valuable of a player. And I think still four, four games is too small of a snapshot, but you look at, you know, this team, there's just not a whole lot of, you know, much of anything. And I think when you get rid of a guy like Boychuk, who is a heart and soul type of guy, he's a, the grinders, the warriors, the guy that you know can do a bunch of things for you. That's that's a big piece to take out of the equation, and I think they may have overvalued the core uh, of what they have there now and, and things like that. So, I don't. I, I mean, this team is one and three right now, and it's not because they got rid of Johnny Boychuk, but it certainly doesn't help. But I don't think that those guys are in a good way after losing a guy like that. Well, you mentioned how uh, going back to last season, the Bruins were looking for a top four defenseman. 
And even before the deadline, you know, there was rumors about uh, the Bruins looking at Dan Girardi, who was going to be an unrestricted free agent. And I was doing everything in my power to, you know, pray, do dances, uh, do, uh, you know, rituals, uh, beg, everything short of, you know, going to St. Patrick's Cathedral and lighting a candle for uh, a trade. And the Rangers end up signing him to a six-year, $33 million extension. So maybe you guys lucked out without getting that top four defenseman last year. Yeah, I, I mean, at the same time, though, I think – I understand, you know, you have your, your reservations to say the least about Girardi, but I think, he, you know, if assuming they didn't give up too much, it would have been a, a decent enough fit. I think, especially if you, with the, the gift of hindsight, if you look at where they're at now, I mean, it, it can't be any worse than what they've got right now. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think, you know, the blue line is their issue. I think it's it's really uh, a matter of scoring goals, and they just can't do anything offensively. So I, I don't think that defense is a huge thing. Uh, but I, you know, going back to the boy checking too, maybe I guess you know I mean, you look at it was they they cleared up some cap space and maybe you do something down the road. I know that you know the rumors out there that they were talking to uh, Vancouver at the trade deadline about maybe acquiring Edler. So it, maybe that's something that it opens the door for that. But yeah, I it, it just doesn't look good, and, and that's the thing. But like I said, the, the problems are much bigger than than the play on the blue line, at least through four games. To me, at least over the last few years, the Rangers and Bruins, um, they seem to be built very much the same in the, in the sense that, you know, they're built from yeah. the back out and, and their goalie is the most important piece of the team. Then the defense and then the scoring comes last. And that's certainly been the case this year when you look at both teams' early early season struggles and the fact that they're having trouble scoring goals. The Rangers having a lot of trouble actually keeping the puck out of that as well. But, um, you know, and it's almost now like the Rangers and Bruins have become identical teams in the sense that they're very top-heavy on their forward lines. Not as much depth maybe as they once had. And you look at the Bruins, a team that everyone, you know, consistently says rolls out four lines. They play four lines more than any other team in the league. Um, do you get the sense that, you know, they're still going with the same strategy they have in the past that made them so successful over the last three years or so? Well, I mean, they're going to try to continue to do that. But, you know, Julian is going to do that until he's blue in the face. And no matter if it's you, me, and Mike Hurley set, you know, on that fourth line, I think he's going to keep rolling those four lines because that's what he wants to do. They think that, you know, if they build deep enough lines and they build a deep enough roster, they can wear you down over 60 minutes. Or, or even when you, you look into the playoffs, they can wear you down over a seven-game series with that kind of depth and guys that play that two-way game and, you know, are, are tough, strong, physical guys. Like I said, they, they think they can wear you down. And the problem is this year is, is that whether it's injuries or, or the salary cap crunch or what have you, that just the depth isn't there right now. And, you know, you look at, you know, up and down the line, there's a few guys on each line that are, you know, decent, but it's just there's not that cohesion. There's not that uh, familiarity that there's been in the years past. I mean, you look at the fourth line, it's, it, it, Simone Gagne is going to be on the fourth line tonight. Uh, you know, Ryan Swinner in the middle, Daniel Paya in the left. And that's a far cry from, you know, Pae, Campbell, and, and Thornton like they had uh, for the last however many years. And, and that was a strength of their team because they had a better fourth line than most teams. They had a fourth line that could generate chances. Uh, you played well with the puck in, there, or in the opponent's end. And then I think you saw toward last year they started, you know, the, the ice gets a little slanted on them, and, you know, you kind of try to blow it up. But like I said, the problem is just that it's not – there's just not enough production from those third and fourth lines. There's not enough production from the first and second line after you score four goals in four games. But, you know, if, if you're not getting much from those third and fourth lines, it makes it tough to, to keep rolling those. And so you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I think that's kind of where they're at right now is that they just don't have a guy who can snap them out of the skid right now. And it's going to take, it may take a couple weeks for them to finally, you know, hit their stride. And that's one of those things too. It's like, 
it's like pushing a rock down the hill. It's like once you get her over that, you know, the, the peak and then get going down, then you're good. But it's, it's, you know, getting it there is the toughest part. And I think that they're kind of going through that type of struggle right now. And like I said, I don't know how long it's going to take, but their schedule doesn't get much easier either. I mean, they're in Detroit tonight. They're in Montreal on, on Thursday. So it's, it's tough. And I think, like I said, I, I think this may get worse before it gets better, which is saying a lot. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, is you got to get it going soon because there's a whole thing where you need to be in the playoff hunt by, uh, you know, American Thanksgiving, and, and right now they're obviously a far cry from that. Like I said earlier, still, we're four games in, so there's a long way to go. But it, there's a lot of holes in that team right now. And like I said, if if they're not getting that, that production from up and down the roster, they're in the bad way because Julian's going to continue to roll four lines, uh, whether it works or not. Well, with that, with that rolling of the four lines, and uh, they sort of tried to keep. I mean, you know, I know that Thornton's gone now, but they sort of tried to keep um, the same formula, the same strategy they've had the last few years. And uh, they have uh, Bobby Robbins on their opening night roster. And I remember seeing something, uh, you know, that the front office in Boston said that the, the reason they let Thornton go was because they, you know, were starting to move away from the aspect of um, having a, sort of a you know, the grinding type goon on the fourth line and they wanted to get more skilled players and, and get a deeper team and maybe some, you know, better secondary scoring options from that far down on the roster. But to have Bobby Robbins on the opening roster and have him play three games, you know, a guy who spent a lot of his career in the East Coast League, in the AHL, and, and basically gooning it up. I, I know he had over 300 penalty minutes a couple years ago in Providence. It just seems like they tried to recreate, um, you know, the same exact team they had in the past when that's the reason they let Thornton go in the first place. That one was confusing, and, you know, the comments you're referencing, I, I still remember it like it was yesterday. There is that breakup day, and Shirelli, you know, was asked about uh, the, the upcoming free agents. He talked about Thornton and, and how he said, he said at the time, you know, he wasn't w- willing to rule out bringing Thornton back, but, uh, you know, the writing was on the wall. Uh, but he had said something like, he, you know, the game is changing, and the game is changing around the league. And it's it's one of those things where you're kind of getting away from that. And, and you know, when he said it, it made all the sense in the world. They had just been you know, knocked out of the playoffs by the Canadians, a team with uh, a much better team speed than the Bruins. You know, so you look at the, the forwards, these guys are do a better job of putting the puck in that. They're more offensively talented. Uh, and it made sense. He said, all right, you're going to try to adapt to that, you know, the, the evolution of the game, and you're going to go from there, and, and you're going to build your team that way, or at least alter your team that way. And then they start Bobby Ryan's at opening night is on the opening night rosters made no sense to me at least. This is the guy's got what like yeah I think it was something like thirty five points in his AHL career and that'll happen when you're spending you know three hundred minutes in the penalty box. But I, I get you know I, I understand why Bobby Robbins would make sense on this team. He's a guy you saw it even I mean especially in the preseason he was great in the preseason he ran around everything that moved obviously fearless to drop the gloves. Uh, you know, good energy guy, but it just, like you said, it, it just didn't make sense of what they were trying to do, or at least what they said they were trying to do. Whether they changed, they changed their mind, uh, whether they didn't really meet up from the beginning, I don't really know. I think you're starting to see now, they realize it doesn't, you know, that wasn't working either. And I think, you know, I guess it's, it's a pretty, you know, telling statement as to where they are now, is that they're turning their eyes to Simone Gagne to be that guy to, you know, maybe give you some more offense, you know, at the bottom six. So, We'll see how that goes. This is a guy who didn't play last year, played a handful of games two years ago. Uh, so that's, I think that's probably the really the best way to describe what the Brewers are at right now is that people were somewhat excited about Bruins signing Simone Gagne to that contract and uh, activating him. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much where they're at right now. And, and like I said, it's just, 
it's a tough spot to be in, and and you know, I mean, maybe he comes out and scores a couple of goals tonight, and you feel a little bit better about it. But yeah, they they're, I mean, it's it's obvious that they're still in a you know a state of transition when it comes to the entire lineup, but especially the bottom six. Well, to get where they are today uh, with Gagne on the team, with Bobby Ryan's making the open eight roster, uh, with Boychuk going, with Thornton going, uh, certainly a different look to what they had last year. And the reason they're at the point is what is because of what happened last year and their exit from the playoffs uh, to the Canadians. And, you know, the Bruins were such a heavy favorite in the Eastern Conference last year that um, it, it almost, you know, it, it coincides with the fact that that's why I felt like the Rangers had to win the cup last year, even though they were such a heavy underdog, because it was sort of like what the, what the Giants went through uh, in, the, in the 2011 NFL playoffs, where everything just broke right for them, and, and they got the matchups they needed all along the way, the teams they couldn't play got eliminated, and the Bruins were that one team where if the, you know, if it was Rangers-Bruins Eastern Conference Finals, there's no chance the Rangers get out of that series. Um, they caught a break with the Canadians, they caught a bigger break with Carey Price, and, and going Going back to that series, you know, the Bruins had a 3-2 lead uh, in that series. They blow it. They, they lose the final two games of that series to end their season. And I can't remember, you know, such a heavy favorite in the Eastern Conference going out so early. And, and even though the Penguins have been, you know, so good for so long and during the Crosby-Malkin era and the post-lockout era, I don't think the Penguins, you know, any postseason exit that they've had, any early exit that they've had has been as shocking as the one the Bruins had last year going out in just the second round. No, I, I definitely agree because the thing with the Penguins too, and we've seen it more in the last couple of years than than ever before, is the goaltending is just a total uh, mess. And you know, if if they don't have you know four shutdown defensemen in front of him, there's going to be real issues. And, and that's obviously been exposed the last couple of years, uh, which is really a shame because it feels like they're. I, I mean, Sid and you know Malkin still have a long way to go, but. It's always tough to watch teams like that and players like that when they're not surrounded with you know sufficient parts, and that's that's tough to watch. But no, I you know I definitely agree with you in terms of you know if the Bruins could play the Rangers, I'm trying to be as objective as possible here. I really do think the the Bruins would have ran through the Rangers. I think that the worst possible matchup for the Bruins, and this kind of speaks to you know the Rangers' luck, if you want to call that, in, in getting to the Cup final last year, is the Bruins. Just I, I think that's the one team you didn't want to run into was the Canadians. And you kind of saw in the first round too with the, the Red Wings where. Fast teams, especially last year, not a good matchup for the Bruins. And, you know, the Bruins, I think it was five games they got rid of uh, the Red Wings, but they still struggled at times. It wasn't, it certainly wasn't a dominant effort. That being said, it's just, you know, I, there's really no excuse for losing that series to the Canadians, especially when you're up two games. I mean, going into the Bell Center, you kind of give them that one, and, you know, you, you go from there. But to come out and get embarrassed in Game 7 like they did and to start so flat is just inexcusable. And it's one of those things, I really do think this, and you look at the team without this year and they're struggling now, I still think they're the playoff team. I don't think we're in that, that area yet. But if you, I think we, we may look back at the, the 2013-14 season and say the Bruins really missed an opportunity to kind of cement what they had going in, in these few years. Because I think that that team was was built to win a Stanley Cup. They were a wagon, and you know maybe you weren't getting as much from the fourth line, but you got at least from the top three lines, you got a lot of production. You had a guy like Jerome McGinley who was hungry to win. Uh, you know, a guy that they could you know, desperately need right now. Uh, and you kind of, and obviously you got you know Rats playing out of his mind, and you know as long as everybody can stay healthy, that team should have made a deep playoff run. And to come up that you know. That far short is, is really disappointing. Like I said, it's something they might look back on in a few years and say, man, we really should have had a deeper run that year. Uh, and, and, you know, things happen. And I think that 
Chara getting banged up in the Montreal series didn't happen. Obviously, not having Seidenberg was huge. Uh, but that being said, you know they were up three two. They should have had that series. Like I said, if they had gotten through that series, I I really do think they would have gotten past uh, New York. Maybe you know beat LA because I think LA is just they're, just they're so good it's ridiculous. But you know I I think it's a lot better resume to look at it. You know if you had three Stanley Cup finals in, in four years it would be pretty uh, pretty impressive. So I think that's definitely an opportunity missed, and that also makes you know, what they've done this year, a little more, even more depressing, because I think you're still in the opportunity, or you're still in a position to, to really make another deep run, and what they have right now just doesn't seem like it's going to be able to get the job done this year either. Well, the good thing for the Rangers is that, uh, at least as currently constructed, if the Bruins are as good as they've been, if the Canadians continue to progress and be as good as they've been the last few years, uh, thanks to this, you know, uh, new playoff format with with the uh, you know the interdivision yeah. uh, rounds in the first and second round. Uh, we're going to see a lot of Bruins Canadians eliminating each other, which will be good for the Rangers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a really good point too because you look at the Metro division; it's it's not great. I mean, I, I'm looking at the standings right now, and it's pretty wild. I mean, again, we're, we're so early in the season, yeah. but Jer- Jersey and the Islanders are both three and zero, and it's like, well, I I, I still think if the Rangers. The Rangers have to get in. I think we saw it last year. You know, you and I went back and forth on Twitter earlier. Even uh, you know, they started slow last year and, and they got into the tournament. And you saw what they can do in that tournament. And, and especially, I do think that that you know the new playoff format. And I, I thought this when it first came out. It hurts a team like the Bruins because I do think the Atlantic Division, top to bottom, is a lot better. I mean, even though. Buffalo and Florida are there. I mean, those are givens. But when you get into the playoffs, you're going to have to go through a team like Tampa Bay, who's so much better this year. Uh, you got to go through a team like Detroit. Maybe even if Toronto gets in, gets hot. And then obviously we have Montreal, too. So that's a tough, you know, that's tough sledding. And I think that that's one of those things. I really do believe that, you know, a team can get into a, a you know, a series early on in the playoffs, really just give it all they got, and then not really have much left after that. So that's another, you know, Good for the Rangers, I guess. I mean, that's a much better position to be in. And I think you saw that last year, and, and you know, also when Carey Price goes down too. But, uh, you know, I, it's it, that's just the way it is, though. I, I, I do like the new system because, I, you know, give me Bruins-Montreal every year, even if it you know means the Bruins might not get past that round. Because uh, I, I just think that that's, it's such a more entertaining format. But, yeah, I think for at least with the way everything is, you know, balanced right now, I definitely think, it, you know, it – it definitely favors a team like the the Rangers or anybody else in that division. Well, when it comes to these matchups, I we might consistently get now at least for the next few years if uh, you know the rosters hold the way they are and the players uh, continue to play the way they played at least last year in the first year of it. Um, you know, the Rangers caught a break last year by not playing Columbus, who's another team I think fits right into that uh-huh. mold with the way they're built, the way the Bruins are built, um, and, and the Penguins got them and the Penguins you know dismantled them. But um, it just seems like the Rangers, you know, they've I don't really know what the Flyers are. I don't really know how they're built. Um, I don't really know what their plan is, but it seems like, you know, they're at their best when they're playing teams like the Penguins or like the Flyers. Um, you know, as they caught the break, obviously, with the Canadians and Carey Price, that, that probably would have finished differently. Uh, but, yeah, I think things just worked out well for them. Um, it certainly didn't work out well for the Bruins, but when it comes to the Canadians, for the first time, I fully understood, you know, why when the Bruins and the Canadians play, there's so much hatred. Why, you know, my Twitter blows up with everyone I follow from Boston and all my friends that are still there 
you know, why they hate the Canadians so bad and hate their fans. And, and granted, the Rangers and Canadians only played, you know, six uh, six games in that series, and it was the only playoff series they've had against each other, uh, you know, in the relative past. But um, for the first time in a while, I've, I've you know, re- realized why you guys hate them so badly. And it's not just the team and the way they act, but it is their fans and the media who cover them as well. That was the insane part about last year. It was, it was so weird seeing you tweeting, like, sympathizing with, you know, Boston sports fans. I was like, oh, my God, what do we have going on here? Uh, no, I mean, you know, you try to remove yourself, especially when you're covering it. it, it you know, you try to be as objective as you can, but it's so hard to, to call it down the middle when you look at a team uh, like the Canadians. And I think you're really hit on the, the most important point is, I mean, you, you know, you look at a, a handful of those guys. Uh, you know, Subban is, I, I think he's a good kid off the ice and everything, but you watch him play and it's just, it's so annoying. Uh, you know, you look at the guys like Dale Weiss and, and Emelin and guys like that, and it's like, yeah, I understand why the rest of the league hates them. But that pales in comparison to what you get from the media and the fans. It's just, it's insane. I mean, it, my Twitter's never blown up like it did last year. You know, just reporting on what guys are saying in the locker room, and all of a sudden, it, you know, I'm being attacked by, uh, yeah, you know, Juan Ree from Montreal saying, uh, you know, get your fanboy glasses off or whatever. And and that was the, you know, one of the worst parts too is, uh, you know, I was ready to keep covering this team for, you know, into the, the conference finals and win the Stanley Cup final. And it's just, you, you, I don't know. It's just, they see hockey so differently up there is that, you know, you want to see the boys continue to kind of, hope that the the style that you watched and the style that you bought into growing up kind of wins out. And when it doesn't, then those fans, and especially the media too, the media is the worst, man. It's it's awful. Uh, You know, they have that same air about them that it's, oh, you don't know how to play hockey, or you don't know how to watch hockey, or you don't know how to to talk hockey. It's just, it's it's infuriating. And I do really, you know, that has, I I mean, I grew up a Bruins fan, whatever. Like I said, I separated myself a lot from it over the years, but Anytime the Canadians lose, it's I feel better. I, I'm sorry. It is what it is. I, I, I don't know what you want from me. So I was uh, 100%, you know, in the corner of the, the Rangers, you know, just watching from afar. I, you know, I think it would have been a more interesting series if, if, if Price didn't go down, and that would have been, you know, I, that's, you know, that's not the way you necessarily want to win a series. But, uh, yeah, that's that's something that's not going to go away either. It's, it's only gotten worse over the last few years, and I think Twitter has a big, you know, big role in that. Uh, it, it's almost you almost have to log off, you know, before and after games against Canadians because there's just there's so much you know venom being spewed, emotions are running so high, it, it, it's borderline annoying. But at the same time, you can't get enough. It's a weird dichotomy like that. But uh, you know, that being said, every time the Bruins Canadians play, it's an event. I mean, tomorrow night, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's it, it's always something to watch. And, and when it gets into the playoffs, everything is is magnified by a thousand. You know, it's just to the point where it's almost, like I said, it's it's almost too much. But, you, you know, there's that's at the same time, you can't get much better than that either. So, uh, but, yeah, I, I'm glad you kind of finally got to see where everybody up here is coming from because it is uh, it's a tricky situation, to say the least. Well, a couple of points there. And, and, and it all started uh, after Kreider ran into Price and injured him right. on a breakaway. And, right. And, and people in Montreal thought he did it on purpose where, you know, in – I, just the the thought process of someone to actually believe that uh, you know Chris Kreider's coming in full speed 
and the first thing in his mind is I'm going to take out the goalie because he's going to get injured and miss the series is just insane because he could have equally got, you know, just as hurt or if not, you know, even more hurt on the play. Um, so that that really started things off. But I think, what you know, when I realize how insane the people are and, and I, you know, growing up, I don't hate the Canadians. I don't – I have nothing, to, you know, against them. I think – uh, looking back, you know, the early, early Stanley Cup finals when I watched when I was little and, and, you know, when I was five, six years old when they beat the Kings in five games. Yeah. And, you know, they had Kirk Muller and Patrick Waz on that team. And, you know, those are teams, those are classic teams. And, and certainly, you know, neither, me and you weren't alive um, when their team was, you know, built of just mainly French-Canadian players, you know, going back in the 70s and, you know, way even earlier than that. So there's nothing right. to dislike about the Canadians, and I think their style of play, the one that, you know, I got to really witness, uh, you know, intensely in the playoffs and the one you guys have watched in Boston, has only been around for a few years, but um, certainly, you know, that, that price, the Kreider price play uh, set things off. And just, you know, after that, the next day I, I made sure to listen to uh, Montreal Sports Radio, which I've <laughs> never done in my life, and it was just – it was magnificent. I mean, it was like – it was like the Jets, you know, losing the Super Bowl and the Mets losing Game 7 of the World Series wrapped into one for what it would be in New York equivalent because, um, you know, Mets and Jets, the negativity and the pessimism here sort of, uh, you know, takes over when whether the Yankees and Rangers or Giants are doing well. And it was like that times a million. And, and not only that, but the, the Canadians are playing the Rangers Eastern Conference Finals, a chance to go to the Cup, and the people there are still talking about the Bruins and what had happened in the series before, like, you had already beaten them. Like, move on. And it, it just seemed to me like they, they only want to play the Bruins, and I think they're not happy unless they're, they're playing them. Well, and, and, you know, that's the other thing, too. You talk about moving on. That's just something the Canadians can't do. They're like Yankees fans like that. It's just, I mean, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we'd be you know, in 1970. It's like, nobody cares. That doesn't mean anything. Like, get over it. And, it, and I do think it goes both ways. I think Bruins fans and, you know, even the media or whatever, and even the Bruins themselves, you watch them when they play, they take stupid penalties, things like that. They're infatuated with each other. It's it's fascinating that, you know, these guys that get paid millions of dollars to just go out there and play hockey can be so wrapped up in, in, in you know, storylines and things like that. But, yeah, you, you talk about the Carters, and that was insane. It's like, it's just, if you just step back and think about it for a second, it's like a Luis Mendoza situation. The guy's flying through the neutral zone, <laughs> instantly attacking, so crashing. I mean, that happens. It's a hockey play. It's like, it, and then it, it's almost like they just would rather complain than be happy. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. And I think, it's, you know, in a way, you know, Bostonians could probably relate to that, too, because I think if you go back and look at the Red Sox for years, people love complaining about it, too. The difference is they love complaining about their own team, whereas the Canadians just can't be happy with winning the series. And I think that kind of speaks to, you know, the carryover going into the New York series, like you said, where they were just still worried about the Bruins. I just, it's it's insane. It's like you got a good hockey team, you got a good product out there. Go watch that and live in the moment. Uh, and, and, you know, that was the other thing too about price going down that bothered me is that not only does it take away from the competitive spirit or some mumbo jumbo like that. It also gave the Canadians and their fans a built-in excuse where it's like, <laughs> oh, well, prices are, so what did you expect? I mean, even though, you know, the Christy play is, you know, played out of his mind, uh, it's just, I don't know, man. There's just, it's, it, 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 I think the culture is, has a lot to do with it, too. I just, it's a different culture up there than it is here and it is in New York. Uh, and, and, like, I'm with you, too. Every time something weird happens here, I'd rather listen to Montreal radio than Boston radio. 
it's just it, it's it's so fascinating that they're just so and I mean it's cool too because it's a lot of it's spread from them being so worked up and being so invested in it but they just I always, it feels like they, they funnel it and, and channel it the wrong way and it's just oh God it's just, it's so annoying and it, it never goes away and I think it's one of those unique things too where it's been there for years and and I do appreciate how you know how intense that rivalry is now still again whatever you want to put it because. You know, you and I both you get a real up close and personal view with the the Red Sox Yankees rivalry, or what's the last of it. I mean, look at the you know what the Red Sox did for Jeter in the the, the final weekend of the series. Yeah, did you ever see anybody doing like the Bruins doing something like that for a Canadian? I don't. I, I really hope not. Uh, so I I like that aspect of it too. That it's so it's still so strong. And, and the Canadians are a team like the Canucks too, where it's you get one series with them, and you're all of a sudden you're a rival now. Because I I, I really do look forward to to watching the Rangers and the Canadians play too, because I think that they're a team that gets under your skin and, and those are the types of uh, issues that are resolved in the regular season the year after too. So uh, that be, I guess what I'm saying is that I really enjoy watching the Canadians because uh, it's just so unpredictable and, and, you know, just so insane. They're, they're crazy. It's cool, but it, it, it wears thin very quickly. Well, you kind of have me bummed out now because I'm going to Rangers Hurricanes on Thursday night at MSG, so I won't be home to watch the Bruins Canadians and uh that that's one of those rivalries and you know it's it's is one of the best rivalries in sports and and certainly hockey you know in the grand scheme of things unless you're uh you know a, a true real hockey fan you, you couldn't care less about the Bruins and Canadians but yeah. every single game of theirs I mean that game on uh on Thursday night will be the Bruins what fifth game of the season and or, or, or sixth game of the season and it's gonna feel like watching it it's gonna feel like uh you know a playoff game and the next day people are gonna be talking about it like it was yeah, exactly, and that's, I mean, I, I honestly think tomorrow night has a chance to be a gong show because there's so many still, you know, unsettled things from, from you know, obviously the season or the series before, but I, it is, and I think that's one thing that we take for granted, especially here. I don't really know. New York's a little bit different. It, it, you know, I understand there's so many other things going on, but here it's pretty cool to live in an American city where uh, the fifth or sixth game of the season it's going to be a, a must-watch event. It's going to be dissected the day after. Emotions are going to be running high. Uh, that's that's cool. I, I dig that. And I think that you only get that in a couple uh, different rivalries that the Bruins have. None better than, than the one with the Canadians. And I do think, you know, looking at the Thursday night matchup, maybe the fact that it's in, in Montreal kind of takes away from the Bruins' fight a little bit. Playing tonight doesn't help either. Uh, I, I think it maybe if you look at the, the game, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the gong shows that they've had over the last few years, most of them are cut the garden. So I think the Bruins feel better, uh, you know, kicking ass and taking names when they're playing for their own crowd. But yeah, every game they play is an event, no matter if it's you know October 16th or, or April 23rd. So uh, I, I do think that that's a special thing that a lot of people take for granted, especially up here, because you know that doesn't happen in every market. And you look at it doesn't happen here for a lot of games too, but uh, he's just talking about Rangers Hurricanes. I mean, that should be fun. I mean, what do you got? Nothing better to do on a Thursday night? You gotta watch the <laughs> Rangers and Hurricanes play? I mean, that's, I, I'm, I'm getting tired just thinking about it. But yeah, so I think it is, it's, it's a unique thing. It's a special thing. And it's, it's something that people, I don't think are, are nearly appreciative enough to live in a market where you have such fierce rivalries, especially in a sport like hockey, where it's just, it's so awesome. Like, I mean, I, I still just, you know, every once in a while, I'll go on YouTube and, and rewatch, like, the, the 8 nothing game from the Bruins and Canadians a few years ago, or the one where, you know, you go back to the Price-Thomas fight. It's just, 
it's awesome, and it's it's something that I think it's you know it's maybe gotten a little bit more annoying in the last couple of years, especially because of social media, like I said earlier. But that also makes it you know a, a little bit more intense too. So it's it's something that you know I'm almost already counting down the hours until you know the puck drops at the Bell Center. Well, I think the one thing, and I you know, I talk with this about with other people is that. The difference with New York and Boston is that here it's like you've got the Yankees, but you also got the Mets. You got the Rangers, but you yeah. also got the Islanders. You got the Devils, Giants, Jets, Knicks, Nets. Obviously, down the line, um, there's you know most of the te- most of the sports have two teams. Some have three at least in the area. So it's a lot different. And the fact, like you mentioned, there's so much going on where if you don't like sports, you know there's a financial district, there's a theater, there's a comedy, uh, there's just too much going on in New York for everything to be you know centralized the way it is in Boston, where there's only one hockey team, there's only one baseball team so everyone likes the same team everyone that day is talking about the same exact game the same storyline so uh you know i do i do wish it was more like that here um but at the same time it it sort of can just be like overkill to the point where i know uh you know you know felger mads being the top show in boston and the, the things that they choose to talk about in given days it's just like oh my god like it's like on a Wednesday, like, and it's, you know, it's Red Sox season or, or whatever, like this year, for instance, they're terrible. And they're talking about the Patriots on like August 10th. It's like, I, I just don't know how, how people could deal with that in Boston. Yeah. Actually, the more I think about it too, I, I may, may have oversold of the, uh, the Bruins Canadians game on Thursday night, just because the Patriots and the Jets play on Thursday night. So that's, I think that's really going to, uh, dominate the, the ratings that's going to dominate the airwaves on Friday, uh, especially because it's the Jets and, and something stupid is going to happen. And, uh, you know, the Patriots are probably going to beat them by five touchdowns and, and Rex's job, Rex's job is going to be up in the, uh, air, uh, on Friday. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches when you really think about it. it it's, you know, there's a lot of things going on and it's, I think we can get into a, it's, you know, a much broader conversation just with, I, I think Boston's one of those cities where it's it, it's it's I it's tough to explain to anybody who's not from a city like this where sports play such a huge role. And I think if you're a hockey fan, I think you also have to be you know thankful to live in a city like this too, where it gets it gets so much exposure. It gets, you know the ratings are through the roof right now. Uh, you know I, I think if you know assuming if the Jets and the Patriots weren't playing tomorrow night. It would probably be the lead story on all the, the talk radios and all the you know the TV shows on Friday. That's that's something that doesn't happen in a lot of American cities, and it's just it's something that I, I think that 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 rivalry takes a lot. Uh, it, it, it brings a lot of that out, and, and I think it's it's one of those things where people realize that this is one of the golden eras in, in Bruins hockey, and and it's you know it's an opportunity for you know radio stations and TV stations to to make money and get viewers and listeners. Uh, and it's one of those things where you know it's picking up and running, and it's the exposure is awesome too. Uh, it's just a good time to be you know around that, and even when the team's not as good as you know they can be, like you look at right now. I mean, that's still the exposure so much, and it's 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 you know it's it's such a big deal that a game like uh, you know the sixth game of the season is going to be a, a huge event, and that that's pretty cool. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing it, and I think it's gotten to the point too. Where I mean, maybe something insane happens in the Bruins game that overshadows a you know a boring nine to seven Patriots game or something, and then you know you're looking at it, it dominates the conversation the next day. So I hope something like that happens because it's it's just it's one of those you know it's one of those sports rivalries that's just it's just so much fun to talk about and so much fun to just go back and forth. So 
hopefully, you know, it, like I said, hopefully it lives up to expectations. But the best part about Bruins Canadians too is it usually does. <laughs> well, I think uh, you know, I think going back to, to what Boston has as a sports town, in the sense that you know people there love their sports, care about it so much, is because well, I mean, for starters, obviously the weather isn't great in Boston all the time, and the nightlife isn't exactly great either. So people yeah, gravitate, too, yeah. <laughs> people gravitate to the sports world. And the other thing that helps them is that not only do they have one team in each sport, but the majority of the people from Boston are from Boston or like from the greater Boston area or yeah, from exactly. Massachusetts or from the New England area. So I think, you know, going into the city, they all like those teams to begin with growing up. And certainly you have the pink hats who, you know, go there for college and then the next day they have a, a Red Sox hat out anyway. But that is, that is unique to the city and, and something that, uh, you know, you don't get in, in really many other cities and, um, and certainly not here in New York where, uh, you know, I could go down the street right now and probably find like an Arizona Cardinals bar. Whereas if I'm in Boston and I ask, Hey, can you put the Yankees game on? You know, everyone's going to give me a dirty look and like pour beer on my head. Yeah. That must suck too. I like, I don't know how, like, I, I mean, I guess, you know, if you live there long enough, like you have and, and things like that, if you're that devoted, you find a way. But I think it's one of those cool things too, that it, it I mean, it sounds cheesy, but it brings the city together. It's a, you know, it's a unifying type of thing. I think we saw it too, not to get too profound and deep, but, you know, coming out of the marathon, I think sports played a huge role, in, you know, in the healing process. I, I don't think, you know, millionaire athletes are ever going to, you, you know, make a huge difference in, in making people feel better about their lives, especially in the wake of tragedy. But it gives you a reason to, you know, be distracted. And it also gives you a reason to, you, you know, coexist with our human beings without being like, well, you suck. Because <laughs> that's, you know, more often than not, we want to do that. At least I do. I, you know, I just I can't stand other people. But at least, it, you know, it gives you a reason to, to you know, share a common interest, share a common goal. Uh, and, and I think the fact that Boston's so small, too, also plays into that. It's not a huge city, especially compared to New York. You have people, I mean, you know, I'm from Western Mass, and it's one of those things where it's either you – you grow up and you you live in whole you live at home and you, you become a nobody or you you know you move somewhere else and usually that's Boston and, and you go from there and then being around it just makes you you know that much more into it it's just it's impossible to avoid I and mean, I think it's one of those things where you go to another city and you're like wait wait why why isn't everybody talking about sports why isn't you know you know why isn't the guy down the street the you know the corner store wearing his you know 1970s <laughs> um, I, I don't even know. Like you, I mean, I I just went to the you know the package store earlier. The guy down the street, the guy wears a Bruin shirt literally every day. He's got like five <laughs> different Bruin shirts. It's insane. He was wearing one the other night. I was like, I almost wanted to give you money for this. There's one, and this is a wicked aside, but the guy it had like the Bruins old school '90s logo in the middle, and then like in like the background were all the '90s logo. The guy definitely bought this shirt like 22 years ago. It was awesome. Well, this guy, like, he obviously lives and dies with the Bruins, and that's so cool. I think you get that, you know, it, the, the 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 percentage is so much higher of people like that in a city like this, uh, and and that's something that you know, I you know, like, especially working in sports is, is something that drives you to a city like this, and it's something you can't appreciate if you're not from here or you're not from a city like that. I think New York at times can be like that. I mean, obviously, you know, you've done pretty well in terms of you know, following your sports teams, living in that area too. But I, it's just, it's one of those things where this is other than sports, it's a, it can be a pretty boring city and it can be a pretty <laughs> blurry city, especially in the winter. I mean, you know, you went to school here, right? Yeah. 
Wait a winter. What else are you supposed to do on a Thursday night in the middle of a blizzard than watching the Bruins play the Predators? Like, <laughs> it's just it's one of those things where it's it's built into you and it's just it's so accessible and it, it fits so much into the routine that it's just and it's pretty cool and you know I guess you should be lucky for that. But yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm just talking in circles at this point. But it's just it's one of those things where, like I said, it's it's really you got to be here to experience it. I think. That's what's cool about you know what you've been through is that you, you know you kind of seen both sides of it, and I think that that offers a unique uh, perspective too. Well, I feel like Boston, uh, the way you describe it, it's basically Cleveland with with better teams. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's a good way of putting it. I think. Well, I, that's a little unfair. I mean, I've never been to Cleveland, so <laughs> I haven't either. But trashing, I, just, I have never been yeah, there. But I, mean, I just feel like everyone there is just like. It's nice for like three months of the year, and then all they have to do is watch their sports teams, and their teams just happen to not be good, or at least not be good until now. And you know the Browns, the Cavs, or whatever. But it just seems like Boston oh, is, oh, a, is, a, is a city. You know, it's got it's a little bigger city. Uh, it's it's got the same idea, and it just happens to be you know in a better location. Yeah, I was gonna say Boston's nicer. Like at least there's that. I mean, it's not. I mean, yeah, and that's what that's what the crazy part is too. Is I mean, I guess. Boston's had its pockets of, uh, you know, I, yeah, yeah, that's that's a terrible way. To do it. I would say, I mean, Boston's kind of gone through what Cleveland's gone through, but it's not as widespread, you know, especially across all four teams or three teams or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, but I no, I, I mean, that's not fair. I mean, I, I like Boston. I like living here. I think it's a. I've never been to Cleveland, but I, I've seen the shabby or whatever the shoddy Cleveland tourism video. Uh, I, I think it's you know Boston's a little bit nicer than that. There's there's some more things to do. I mean, you can go to the to the to the aquarium. You can go to the science museum. You can go to bars. You can ride the Green Line. It's 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 exciting. There's a lot of things to do here, Neil. And I don't think that that's a very uh, accurate representation of Boston, but I get where you're coming from. Well, I miss the Boston, uh, you know, when the Red Sox were, were what we grew up as the Red Sox being. And, uh, you know, they win the World Series last year in what was, I think, the most, you know, people always talk about the impossible dream season for the Red Sox. And I, don't, I still don't get why they called that because they didn't even win the World Series that year. And cer- certainly <laughs> they exceeded expectations. But I don't know how you, you, you know, ex- uh, achieve the impossible dream if you don't actually achieve the impossible dream. And I think last year for the Red Sox, because this year the team was awful. Two years ago the team was historically awful. And last year they should have been the same exact as they were two years ago and they were this year. Uh, they just happened to hit, you know, the biggest parlay of all time and every single player played above their head. Nobody really got hurt. Everybody, you know, they got the most timely hitting. Uh, every just thing just went right. It was it was disgusting to watch. And they didn't deserve, you know, certainly, okay, they did deserve to win. But at the same time, that team, the way they were built, they should they didn't belong in that World Series. They didn't belong winning that World Series. Um, and for the Cardinals to lay down the way they did, you know, only makes me hate the Cardinals, uh, you know, nearly as much as I hate the Red Sox and Mets. But for as many championships as I've seen now for my teams that you've seen for yours, and going back to, you know, to bring this back to hockey in the sense that, you know, the Rangers getting to the Cup last year, I was just pumped you know, that they were able to get there. And once they got there, I was like, you know, who cares if they lose? They got to the Stanley Cup final in a, in, a, in a season where they were basically done against the Penguins, a season they had no business getting this far. They weren't predicted or projected to get this far. But then once you get there and you lead two games by two goals and you lose all three games that go to overtime, in overtime, and you really start to think about it, you know, the Rangers hadn't been in the Stanley Cup in 20 years. Who knows when the next time they'll get back is. 
And once you get to a, you know a point that far in the season, it's almost like you better win now no matter who you're playing because you never know when you'll get back there. And when you look at all the runs the Yankees went on or the Giants uh, and certainly for the Red Sox or the Bruins a couple years ago, you know when you get that far, when you get to the Stanley Cup final, you better find a way to put it away because uh, it might be another 20 years before the Rangers get back there. And you look at the run the Bruins went on a couple years ago. Uh, they trailed that series early. The Canadians, they had to win three game sevens just to get to the final. They had to overcome two games to none against the Canucks. Uh, it takes a lot of crazy things to, to go on a championship run, and, and I think the craziest of them all happened for the Red Sox last year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, uh, you look at, you know, I don't know how many more championships the Red Sox are going to win in this this run or whatever. I mean, I don't know if it's still going on. It's so tough when there's, there's so many layers and there's guys changing over the course of those years. But I think if you if you're going to do a power ranking for the the top you know the Red Sox World Series championships in 2004 2013, it's easily the lowest one because there's just like, is this really happening right now? This is just insane. Like it's one of those things where I mean you look at it this year too. Even if, you know you want to talk about baseball real quick, that the Royals are going to play in the World Series. The Royals could end up losing like 90 games next year. I mean it's it's incredibly possible. Like it just. It's it's insane. I think baseball kind of lends itself to that too. I think very rarely does the best team in baseball win the World Series. I think it's it's obviously who plays the best, for, you know, at the right times, who gets the luckiest. Uh, you look at you know what the Royals have done in this run. It's it's pretty remarkable where they basically won. You know, they've made it to the to the World Series without being that good. It's it's pretty insane. But no, I, your point is good too. And when you started to explain it, I, I was like, "Wait, are you really just going to say that he was satisfied with getting to the Stanley Cup final?" Because it's—I mean, <laughs> somebody's going to listen to this and be like, "These guys are such jerks. All they know is winning." It's like, what are you? <laughs> but it's true though. You you don't know it until you get there. Like I think you know, there's a bunch of Royals fans right now that are so happy that the team's going to get the World Series. And then they're going to cry themselves to sleep when the Royals get swept in the World Series by the Giants and the Cardinals. Like, when you get there, you're there. Like, you just, the point is to, like, the point of sports is to win games, to win the most games, win the last game, win the championship. Like, there's no such thing as being happy to be here. I, I hate that so much. Like, and, and maybe, you know, after time, you can kind of look at it and be like, well, that was pretty cool. Like, I don't know. Maybe the the Rangers sucked for the next two years, and, and you look back on last year and be like, "Well, that was cool. At least I got to watch Stanley Cup hockey." Uh, you know, that, that's a weird rush. That it, it's it's impossible to explain to somebody who hasn't been through it. So you kind of look back on it and be like, "Oh, that was cool." But the party is always gonna be like, "Man, what if they could have won that? Uh, that you know, that Cup final?" Because especially again, like you said, I mean, they went what twenty years between Cup final appearances too. If they go another twenty years, you're looking at forty years without winning the Cup. That's that's like half a lifetime. That's insane. It's just, and, and you know, you look at the Bruins too, and, and let's say the Bruins fall apart this year and they end up dismantling their core, maybe rebuilding on the fly, and, and maybe they don't get to another Stanley Cup final for another 10, 15 years. You look back at 2011, you're like, man, was that, that was something else. Like, I, I don't think it's even something that we're, you know, three years, three years removed for it, from it. I still don't think it's set in because I don't think you really appreciate how difficult it is to win a championship for your team to win a championship until you've been that far removed for it for so long. And I think that that's one of those things. It goes both ways too, because if you look at the Royals, those guys are so happy right now to be back in the the world series for the first time in what uh, almost three decades. So it's, it it goes both ways, but it's just, uh, yeah, when you're there, you, you know, what is the point? you got to win. And if you don't, you're going to feel regret and shame for a while. 
maybe you get the you know the, the presence of mind to eventually look back and be like that was a fun run. But part of you, part of you is always going to be like, man, that sucks that they didn't do it. So I get where you're coming from, and you know it's it's one of those things. Like I said earlier, you kind of feel like you're missing opportunities. Maybe the Bruins missed an opportunity last year, and, and maybe the Bruins missed an opportunity two years ago too. And that's another one where we haven't really even talked about where you know I, I think the Blackhawks were the better team, but. You know, the Bruins went to a Stanley Cup final. They got six teams into it. That's that's an opportunity lost. Now we're looking at them. Uh, imagine they win that Stanley Cup. Uh, you know, they get back to it last year. It's a it's a much different conversation. So these things in the you know in the sports history of it is are, is pretty important. So yeah, get there and win because it's, it's so much better than losing. <laughs> well, you mentioned being far removed, and and when it comes to the Yankees, you know, uh, the last time they missed the playoffs for for the. For me, 1993, uh, you know, 92, 93 is the last time they missed it in back-to-back years, so I was six years old. Um, so to now have back-to-back Octobers, uh, you know, some people have asked me, you know, do you look like the guy from Castaway, you know, just living, you know, living on your couch, just being depressed all the time. But when you, when you see it now and you look back and I think back to all the years where I didn't care about, you know, games during the season, I just laugh knowing, you know, they're going to win 100 105 games, they'll be there, you know, they'll be there in the playoffs, and that's really when it starts. And and now you look at these the Royals, like you mentioned, who are, you know, they, they, they're going to the World Series now, and these people are so happy, and they haven't had this feeling in so long. And you know next year if the Royals get off to a bad start, those same people um, are going to do exactly what, you know, you saw in Boston a few years ago where they'll be the ones calling sports radio and being pissed off that their teams, you know, why aren't they winning again? You know, how come they're not back to the way they were? Yeah, it's it's so humbling like that, isn't it? It's just it, it's incredible. I it's the ups are so high and the downs are you know so low, and I think obviously you have more downs than than ups, and and that's one of those things where it's just like, man, this sucks. And and I think when you when you get that taste of it, especially if you're conditioned to it, like you are as a Yankees fan, to not be there, it, it makes you turn into you know a, a spoiled little brat, kind of like, you know, you are sometimes. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if, if it's what you come to expect, or even if you get a taste of it, you want to get back there so badly, and it just it makes you a different person, a different sports fan. And yeah, it, it happens so quickly. I think here in Boston, is you can write books about it eventually down the line, like how people went from like so downtrodden and feeling sorry for themselves to being insufferable D-bags. Like, the, I can't stand, like, most of the people I live around or, or coexist with because they're such obnoxious fans. I mean, you look at the Patriots. The Patriots are the, the top example. I think the Patriots have gotten, Patriots fans have gotten worse than Yankees fans, I think, at this point, where it's like, you haven't done anything in 10 years, but you still think you're, you know, the cat's ass. It's just, it makes no sense. But I think that's just the way it goes. But, you know, you ride the highs and lows, and, and when, you know, the highs are here, you're you're insufferable, and the lows are here, you're insufferable in a different way, and that's just the nature of being a sports fan. I, I'm going to ask you this, though. I was just thinking about this. Have you been watching these games? Like, because this is something that's, I, I don't know if this is a real Boston thing, but I haven't really followed the playoffs that closely. I don't think a lot of people have. I think the TV ratings, ratings have backed that up. Do the Yankees fans follow it as closely as, as you know everybody else, or do they just don't care what the Yankees so. are? Yeah, I didn't see that either. I think it's one of those things where it's. I think that kind of speaks to you know to the nature of you know Boston New York fans at this point too. Or if it's not them, they don't really care unless it's a captivating storyline or if it's the NFL. 
All right, Mike. Well, I know you got to uh, get to the TV and, and watch the Bruins Red Wings, but uh, you know we'll have to talk again. And uh, maybe if uh, the Giants can get into the playoffs, maybe we'll see a, you know another Giants Packers uh, playoff game down the stretch. Since we didn't even get to talk about you being a Packers fan, but being from the Boston area, so we'll talk again. Uh, Rangers Bruins don't play for a while, but uh, you know we'll make sure to do it again in the future. All right, looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Neil.